Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for this feeling of spring in the air. We're grateful for the times of fellowship we have. Um, be a uh, ministry to us this afternoon, wherever we're gathered together, and be a ministry to us this morning in the Word. We ask that we would submit ourselves to your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 7. Now, when you look at the Lord's uh, ministry, when Jesus Christ teaches something, you, you, you open a page, any page of the gospel, you, you sort of wade into it, and you find yourself being wonderfully informed about sometimes some very basic things, other times by some very sort of complex things, or things that we don't see how deep they are. And I was, th- I was thinking of Luke 7 here as one of those situations where the direct common sense benefit is, is clear to us. It's, it's a, a very charming tale. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. That's unusual in the first place. First, you, you Pharisees and Jesus didn't seem to see eye to eye, but some of them had a fondness for Christ. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. So some of them saw in Jesus something enough to ask him over for, for, for brunch or, or something after synagogue. And he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at table. And behold, a woman of the city, that sounds pretty bad already, an urban chick, an urban gal, who was a sinner, just in case. You didn't pick that up from Urban. When she learned he was at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, you don't want to make doctrine from narrative. You don't want to say immediately, well, here's what we want to see happening more often in this church. Women of ill fame, women of dubious virtue, showing up mid-service, pulling the pastor's shoes off, crying over them and kissing his feet. Mrs. Wilson would have some objections if women of sinful, city-like nature were, and any of us would be a little bit bothered if we say, yeah, that's the kind of ritual we want to see going on in this church of crying over each other's feet, because isn't that the ministry that it seems to be recommending? No, it's not recommending that ministry to one another. We are more like the Pharisee. We'll invite somebody over for dinner. That's, that's polite, right? There's a, there's a polite, we don't care that much for each other. We will break bread with each other. We will 
share a meal, but <clears throat> grabbing at... Well, you ever see... Uh, I was a big fan when I was a youth of Conan the Barbarian. And uh, Conan the Barbarian, uh, or the Frank Frazetta covers for Conan and the Bar Barbarian uh, pulp novels. And C Conan was always, you know, very ripped and big sword, scars all over his body, but he'd be standing there, usually a pile of skulls, because that was appropriate, and some fine young thing hanging onto his leg. Some woman really representing how important he was to her by clinging to his foot. I don't know why that appealed to me at 14, because it appealed to all of us guys at 14. Now, if it's not this is how we should treat each other, or this is proper behavior, even for sinful people, she's a sinful gal, we're going to assume that her sinfulness is a degree of worldliness more than just going to the bars with some friends. A real sinner. We would know something was up if that happened in our if that happened to any of us, if a woman of the night, a professional, showed up at church and threw herself at your husband's feet and started kissing his feet, you would want an explanation from him. What have you done? What are you about to this woman? Why does this woman care so much? But that's where you, start, you need to start thinking about Jesus Christ because Simon, that's the name of the Pharisee, doesn't understand what, who he's dealing with. He's invited Jesus over to dinner. He says, now when the Pharisee, verse 39, who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, and I like the fact that we know what he said to himself. I suspect that Luke was told. This only occurs in Luke. And it gives this Pharisee's name, which is also unusual. So I suppose that this Pharisee ended up a Christian later on and told Luke, this is what I was thinking. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. I know this gal. I know where she works. Simon is wondering who Jesus is. He's invited him over for dinner, and he's going, if he were a prophet, I wonder if he is, he would have known. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. That's not a good sign, by the way. And he answered, what is it, teacher? And Christ says in verse 41, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. 
Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So that concept, the Lord puts his stamp of approval on and says, you know, when you're forgiven a lot, you love a lot. Right? Who would love him more? The one who was forgiven more. Now that's where we, 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 we're, we're tracking right now. Woman of the night, fishnet stockings, throws herself at the Lord's feet. He's forgiving her great sin and the Pharisee, not even a, doesn't even have a clue how big a sinner he is. And so he doesn't, he's more judging Christ rather than feeling judged by Christ. He says if he were a prophet, he would know. So Simon's making a judgment about Christ. This woman is making a judgment about herself. She knows who Christ is. She heard he was having dinner at this Pharisee's house. She shows up with this precious ointment. She is already at the Lord's feet. She is at the Lord's feet, weeping. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, now, the woman is, is there. I mean, she's behind the Lord. They're probably reclining at table. She's been washing and kissing his feet. This conversation is going on. It's not the kind of social life we normally encounter in good Anglo-Saxon restraint um, type of culture. But it was occurring here, and this is going on. And so he turns to the woman and says to Simon, he's, he is pointing her out. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water from my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Now Simon's behavior, he invited Jesus over for dinner. I would say there's just some props right there. But Jesus notices, not just that the woman did more, but did things more of which he had, Simon had done nothing even akin to it. Normal things. Washings. Greetings. Any kind of closeness. Any kind of responsiveness to Christ. Now, this is where it gets past. We won't, we won't even quote this uh, passage. Uh, he who's forgiven much loves much, right? But actually, that's a misquote. We know that he who's forgiven little loves little. That's a correct quote. But he who is forgiven much loves much is not the quote. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now we've got two truths coming to us, getting a little mixed up, but they're agreeable truths. They agree with each other. But it, 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 it's commending, it's not commending just Jesus for going, hey, 
I'm going to do a great thing for you, and then because you recognize how great that is for you, you will love me a lot. I'll forgive you your 500 denarii debt. What is being judged here is not just who is going to love more in the afterward, but who loves more in the foreword. The preface, the pursuit, because she loved much, she was forgiven much. That's what it says in verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. It's also true that having been forgiven much, she would love much. So they're both true. So you basically have a degree of seeking and a degree of adoring. Okay? That, that both feature in the Lord's mind about forgiveness. And he noticed that Simon the Pharisee did not show that much you might say attention because this equals in your mind the degree you need the degree of, a, of seeking the degree of adoring that's why basically if you want to take something home with you you say I want to measure the degree that I seek God and the degree that I adore him. Because those two things are a measure God takes of you. Because Christ responds to this woman on the basis of how much she wept over his feet and kissed his feet. He says, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? They, they're questioning whether he is a prophet. They're questioning whether he has the right to forgive sins. They're not looking for Jesus Christ, hearing he is in a certain house, and going to that house even though she's a bad girl. Can you imagine having to crash a party when you've you got the scarlet letter on your jacket? When you're a bad person in a Pharisee's house, those guys were those guys were straight arrows. And Christ measures her pursuit of him as not a virtue, but as a faith. And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace no conversation with the woman. The woman doesn't say, I believe that you are the Son of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Doesn't, she's no walk in the aisle, hand in the air. She's weeping over the Lord's feet and kissing his feet and anointing his feet. She has valued Christ. Her, Christ to her is this place that she wants to go because of her sins. She's not hitting on Christ. She is looking for the grace of God. Christ interprets 
Her pursuit of him as her faith. Her love for him as her faith. You want to know how much did you seek forgiveness? You ever get a little... I, I am, and I, and I don't mean to tread on your uh, system or your way of going about evangelism or the like. I have a kind of a general problem with chasing people down who don't want the Lord. I don't mind trying to say things that would make people who don't want the Lord want the Lord. You want to change who they are. But until they have, until they have a recognition of need, until they seek God, anyone who would draw near to God must first believe he exists and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. I don't have any problem with somebody who, you know, stands out on Friendship Square handing out tracts to everybody who walks by. Fine. But this seems to be, the Lord seems to be even taking Simon the Pharisee and saying, Simon, I'm not calling what you did faith. I don't know if you know, he didn't turn to Simon and say, Simon, your sins are forgiven too for having me over for dinner. Because you're wondering if I'm a prophet. You wonder if I have the authority to forgive sins. You did not do anything that showed you cared. Now the woman did not earn salvation. Did not earn the peace of God. Did not earn the forgiveness of God. But she showed God something. In her pursuit of him. I have this quote by Lord Chesterfield here on the side, one of my favorites. I'm a big fan of Lord Chesterfield. It's not the couch. I never yet found a man inattentive to the person he feared or the woman he loved. And anybody knows in any of their relationships when somebody is inattentive... doesn't give them the most basic of treatments. They have something to take to the bank. It's real. You can't claim, but honey, I really love you when you don't pursue her. Want to be in her company. If you really fear God, if you really love God, It's going to be evident in the degree of seeking, in the the degree of adoring. The reason we sing hymns is not because it is traditional to sing hymns. We sing hymns, one, because the expression in the poetry does a better job than modern choruses at expressing what we adore of God. We want to sing about our God. And young people, little kids, might not realize what we're about, but hopefully someday they come to know who Jesus Christ is and they want to adore him. And some things deserve to be sung about. Some things deserve, you're a bad enough, I won't suggest that any of you girls are from the city, if you know what I mean. But if you were and had those sorts of sins and Jesus Christ was standing there with forgiveness and you knew that, how would you approach him? 
self-important? Who are you? Are you really a prophet? All sorts of questions. Or would you fall at his feet from behind, kissing his feet? Now, we have to judge ourselves rightly when it says to the Pharisee, you have judged rightly. That's who's going to love the forgiveness more. That's who's going to love. And that kind of love expressed before the forgiveness is the reason for the forgiveness. I want you to think about that. We are so sometimes in Protestant circles so insistent that we're saved by grace through faith, not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Sola fide, right? Only faith. And we insist and insist and insist, and we sometimes forget. It's not that goodness earns anything, but God doesn't just walk through the earth grabbing people who show no interest in him and forgiving them. He seeks those who seek him. Now, God, of course, very clearly knows how much you need him. Our seeking only creates the knowledge of how much we know we need him. God doesn't just want people who need him. I mean, the whole world. He can walk in any house, any bar, any business, and find people, everyone there, who needs him to a greater degree than they have him. There's a certain degree of, and I don't want to blame the millennials for everything, but it's very trendy to do that. Um, it's a very millennial thing to do, to blame the millennials. But as a, as a society becomes more affluent, there is a presumption on goods, be it a college education, a house, a car. Things stop being things you earned and bought and start to become rights. I have a right to a college education. People start to see goods as things that others should provide for them. Parents, the society, the 1%, whoever it is. And whether or not I agree with you about that kind of social policy or economic policy, I don't agree that you should apply it with God. You don't get him merely because you need him and he knows you need him. Or merely because you need him, he knows you need him and he has the power to give it to you. And he's not wrong because he omitted to give it to you. Because dang it, pardon my French, you didn't want it. Simple. You didn't want the grace. You didn't want the forgiveness. You didn't want what he did for you. In no way. Well, he knows I need it because I know I'm a sinner and I just kind of want to be forgiven all of a sudden, magically. I want to have my student loans suddenly magically paid for. We all want things sort of magically lifted from our lives. 
by someone who's going to take responsibility to look out for my needs and step in and pay for them regardless of my attitude. We're all more like Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian. Just wanting to walk through life knocking everything over and anything goes wrong, other people, mature people, will pay for it. They'll take care of it. I have secondarily on this page here, I have Luke 11. Because I wanted to, it's a, it's a good point out of the Luke 7 passage when you see that she is forgiven because she loved. Not just she loves because she was forgiven. Both of those are true in the passage. She loves because she was forgiven. She's forgiven because she loved. And this is identified as faith in her. Luke 11 says, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, which is a great word, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. It's illustrating how much rests on your pursuit of God. How much rest that you in your fishnet stockings, realizing who you are, how much pursuit of it gets you. More pursuit than the relationship. Because it's all about who you have become. It, they're already friends here. And the guy wouldn't get up. Leave me alone. I know we're friends. I'll see you tomorrow. For heaven's sake, come into my house at midnight. We could tell our friends to go home. Go to the convenience store. Do something else. Bake the bread. Give them a, give them a yogurt. Something else. I don't want to get up. But because it came to you in desperation, pleading, overstepping its bounds. That's what importunity is. It oversteps. He'll get up and give it stuff. And then he applies it. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. It's resting a lot. It makes the distinction, not in the, just in the parable before, or the circumstance before, but this parable. He's letting you know that if you're the kind of parasite in society that is waiting for all your friends and your loved ones to step in and help you with your needs because you, they know you need them. Friendship, Jesus is subtracting that algebraically from the relationship. Has a friend... Friend, lend me. He will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. 
It is subtracting their debt to you. You as a Christian, with the grace of God and the gospel message, the world sometimes likes to make us think that we have a debt to them. It says, oh, no man, anything but the debt of love. Christ loved these people. But he's letting you know what the measure is based on. These things don't happen because Jesus loves you so much. Jesus loves everybody. Guess what? Most everybody is not going to heaven. Most everybody. And Jesus loves them. So now what do you do? It ain't God's love that's lacking. For those with faith, those that love God, those are the ones that God goes, okay, all right, because of your importunity, because you're pleading with me, because you're seeking, because you're asking, because you're knocking, you will get because of that. And I think a lot of people sort of blame God for the sin of omission. God is able to prove himself. God is really able to pony up and make himself more obvious. Right? You know, because obviously if you think it's my problem, I think it's God's problem. I think he's the one that should, you know, show up here and float in the air so we prove that he's God. Oh, he did that. Tried that. They killed him. He walked on water. He raised dead people. He healed the sick. There's always a reason. When you don't love, when you don't seek, it doesn't matter. You can try to save all the people in the world by giving them all the answer of Jesus Christ and press the gospel home to them and, and, and work with them and put them on the straight and narrow and try to work them out. But until they seek Ask, knock, they're not getting the answer. They're not getting, they're not expressing any faith. If you believe you're saved by grace through faith, you've got to get faith out of the person. And you being caring about their misspent life, it was not like there was a you know, sex workers ministry in Jerusalem that Jesus had gone down to and said, hey, there's a lot of urban girls here, a lot of professionals. I will forgive them. And they will love me. No. He forgave the one that came and cried over his feet. That asked. That pursued. That sought. That knocked. Because those people will receive. Fine. And have it open to them. I can't. Get saved by somebody else's faith. And the fact that we as Christians care a lot for the world, seeing they don't have faith, we want to be out there sometimes hip deep and trying to change everything, apologetics and debates and and whatever else. Um, Sometimes we hope that our faith will be enough to save all the people. We certainly want it with our own children, right? Parents do anything to try to get their kids to believe are 
do something for them. That's why I think a lot of parents fall into ritual observances because they hope that some sort of magic can be done to someone else to fix them. There are people like Simon who will attend to Jesus, talk to Jesus, have Jesus over for dinner, but just didn't pursue him that much. Weren't really all that nice to him. Didn't kiss him, didn't anoint him, didn't wash his feet, didn't do anything for him because that was the the real measure of Simon the Pharisee's view of Christ. And Christ holds it up to him and says, look at that. She's going to be forgiven. She's forgiven a lot more than you. But she's forgiven. And tragically, we don't know sometimes that we all owe 500 denarii. Some of us just think it's 50. God didn't have to forgive me for much. Well, Since we can't ask, seek, knock for anybody but ourselves, the church can't become a seeking church. You know, when they they talk about churches that are seeker-friendly, they don't mean that. The people that show up then, they're trying to make it non- clear, not combative, not different, not, not definite about the gospel. They're trying to be seekers to those who are not seeking forgiveness from God. They were looking for seekers who want a good religious experience in their town, get virtues for their kids, have free entertainment on Sunday morning. Are they seeking, are they seeking the grace of God? We don't uh, measure everything the way Christ measures it. And I recommend, as you read through the Gospels, don't miss the little shifts in the phrasing. One of the key reasons I'm going over this passage, I think it was about four years ago, I went over it before, but... And I don't know what year it was that I finally realized. I think it was because I misquoted the passage. And I went looking for it because I wanted to know where it was, but I didn't know I had misquoted it. Got to it, and because I was, had this pattern of words in my head, I looked at that and suddenly realized it doesn't say that. Now what do I do? It was still true what I was misquoting earlier in the passage. But read Christ closely. He's trying to straighten out the way you think about the world. And if you're the kind of person that seeks him, if you're the kind of person who asks things of him, if you knock to have things open for you, you will be given that. That's the wonderful thing about the grace of God. He is unstinting in his goodness to you. But don't say, Jesus has got to give me something. This is not a welfare state in the kingdom of God. And it's not a capitalist state either. It's an honorable one where you give people who ask. And what did your mother always say? Ask nicely. Or how do you ask nicely? Please. 
Just, little insincerity. Just a little bit of fake seeking. Fake asking. But you don't, you know this is God you're dealing with. If people say, you know, you should really ask more questions about your faith, about pursuing God. Why don't you all show up next week with one question each? Homework. Church, I get homework. Well, what kind of questions would they be? Oh, they might be really good questions, but they wouldn't be your questions, now would they? You'd be doing it because the church had decided that everybody should ask questions. And until your filthy heart, no offense, until your frame has decided to seek God, God is thinking about who you are and what you're proving you are. Are you someone who in God's love and mercy and honor, God's happy to forgive because you love much? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Very grateful. We'd ask that we would each pursue you and be happy to do so. Thrilled to find a place to seek and thrilled with the answers we receive. We'd ask that we would not become lazy and parasitic in asking you to just continue to do things for us whether we seek you or not. This, this we ask in your son's name. Amen.